You are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 19, today we're in Cahors. Francois, no blues in Cahors for the French today because Christophe Laporte has saved the Tour de France. I know why you're saying that, because just behind us there's a little post or plaque saying the Blues Trail Mississippi to France. And we found out by reading the plaque that uh, actually there's a Blues Festival in Cahors since 1982. And it's probably taking place on the square where we are, very, very close to the press center in the little bar and restaurant called the Corson. And, well, as usual, we're uh, having a little beer. Uh, I'm having a blonde Brooklyn brewery beer. And I don't know what you have, but it looks nice as well. IPA, <laughs> nameless. Seems it's a beer with no name. Yeah, it is a beer with a no name. But Okata. It's no, it's called Okata. And, uh, yeah, well, you seem to like it. Anyway, yeah. So, as you say, Christophe Laporte, or should I say, Jumbo, it's really Jumbo Vins. It, it was the Danish Tour de France. It was also Jumbo Visma's Tour de France. And Jumbo Visma are on their way to win everything. You know, yellow, polka dots. Not the young uh, jersey, but almost everything. They, they even managed to, to win the, the only French stage victory on this Tour de France. And Christophe Laporte was the, the man who, who, who made it, uh, you know, thanks to Wout van Aert, who actually kind of led him out and, t and, and told him, OK, Christophe, it's your day. Go ahead, attack at the kilometre and, and, you know, uh, you know, speed your way back to the, the, the escapees at the, at the time. And, uh, and go for a win, and that's what happened. Everything seems to click to perfection for Jumbo Visma, who could actually win. I mean, it's not, it's not fanciful to believe that they could win the next two stages as well. Uh, it was their, their fifth stage win, and uh, well, once again, yeah, what, uh, what a sweep. What a sweep indeed. And, well, I kind of predicted it, didn't I? I suggested that maybe Wout van Aert might lead out Christophe Laporte on the Champs-Élysées, but uh, perhaps now van Aert is favourite again to win on the Champs-Élysées, as he did last year. Uh, impressive by Jumbo Visma on that run-in. It's been such a sprinter-unfriendly tour, this. Uh, all of the pure sprinters were in difficulty, really. They were fighting to catch up. Christophe Laporte is a very, very good sprinter, but he's more of a classics rider, a rouleur-type rider. And, well, if we think back to the spring and Paris-Nice, when they team-time-trialed off the front and won um, that stage, which, well, it was a gift to Laporte that day, wasn't it? And I won't go as far to say this was a gift to Laporte because he, had to, uh, he was put in a very good position. Um, Wout van Aert did a lot of work in the closing kilometres, uh, but Laporte still had to seize the initiative and, uh, well, finish the job. What else happened today? Stage 19 from Castelnau Manuac to Cahors. As I say, not a day for the sprinters. I didn't think it would be. I thought perhaps the break might have a chance, especially when we saw the five riders in that first break because they're all big, powerful riders, breakaway specialists, really. Matej Mohoric, Quinn Simmons, Taco van der Horn, Niels Pollitt, Mikkel Honore. I mean, if they'd been allowed uh, some headway, they could have taken that all the way to the finish. But I suspect because of the... Well, because of the combination of such strong riders, the peloton didn't want to give them too much room. When they were finally all captured, 
it was Quinn Simmons who was last man standing from that break, wasn't it? There was an, a second break on the run-in, and again it featured a Bahrain victorious rider, this time Fred Wright, Jasper Sturven of Trek, Segafredo, and Alexis Gouger of B&B Hotels, and that trio worked really well together. They didn't have much of a lead, but they held off the speeding peloton as they came into Cahors, and it was a technical twisty finish, ups and downs and round the corners, and uh, well, Fred Wright and co. were all swept up eventually, and Laporte took his flyer and denied the sprinters well, what was left of the sprinters, really? Jasper Philipson was second. He's already got a stage win to his name, of course. Alberto Dainese, third. And then it was not really the sprinters after that. It was a collection of fast finishers. Florian Seneschal, Tadej Pogacar, Amori Capio, Dylan Groenewegen, Ugo Ofstetter, Luca Mezjek, and Caleb Ewan uh, in 10th place. So the likes of Ewan, Jakobsen, Groenewegen will have to hope that things fall their way on Sunday on the Champs-Élysées. No change to the GC, no change to the points competition. Wout van Aert way, way out in front there. No change in the King of the Mountains either. And I did read the quote from Simon Geschke saying how disappointed he was to lose the polka dot jersey. And although he was wearing it again today, he said he'd actually prefer to be in his regular trade team kit. So disappointed was he. But uh, Jonas Vingegaard leads the King of the Mountains as well. Tomorrow, of course, is the time trial. And... uh, in this episode of the Cycling Podcast, well, we'll discuss the stage in the next part, but the second half of the episode is a conversation with the voice of the Tour de France in many ways, Radio Tour Seb Piquet, who we spoke to outside the press room after the stage today. So listen out for that uh, coming up after we've discussed stage 19. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for supporting the cycling podcast. We've been talking about their new podcast, the Super Sapiens podcast, and the most recent episode, or one of the most recent episodes, by Dr. Howard Zisser. And in this clip, he talks about how when analyzing glucose, blood glucose data, you're not looking for specific numbers. You're looking for patterns over days and weeks as you learn how your body responds to fueling, to exercise, and to sleep. The third principle, which I think is great, is use the crystal ball. And that's really kind of going back to the dashboard and saying, okay, well, I've looked at this data. I know that my glucose right now is, you know, 123. Well, how did I get here? But more important than that, it's like, how do I, if I want to get back to 123 at this time, what did I do to get here? Let me go my dashboard and really like periodically really think about this instead of just saying, pull out my phone or look at my uh, energy band saying, oh, I'm 123. Just the number itself in time is only a little bit helpful. It's really to be able to think about it, be proactive in understanding and also trying to figure out what you're trying to optimize. Check out the Super Sapiens podcast in your preferred podcast app and go to supersapiens.com to find out more about how Super Sapiens can help you. Well, Francois, it's getting perilously close to the end of the tour without a French stage win, but Laporte has uh, saved the country's bacon in a way. 
Yeah, when it takes, uh, you know, as I said in a previous episode, it's only happened twice in the tourist street that the French didn't win the stage, 1926, 1999. It's not the first time either that, you know, we have a late uh, win. I remember uh, Romain Bardet winning at the Betex uh, on the anti-penultimate day. When was it, 2017 or? It's happened before that, you know, it, it, it was a c- close call. And, I, and, and, and as I said, the win didn't come... F- from a French team, it came from uh, Jumbo Visma again. You know, I mean, the, you, uh, are we heading to a kind of situation when the French riders do better in uh, you know foreign teams like like in football? I mean, uh, the best players go. It's it's for sure. And Laporte said it himself. Is a changed man. You know, since he joined Jumbo Visma this season after years with Cofidis. Uh, you know what to say. He said that everything was different. I mean, it was is is a change rather because the equipment is better, the nutrition is better, the the the, the way he trains is uh, more intense. He goes to altitude uh, camps m- much more often. Uh, it's a little bit hard for me to say that you know, but it, uh, we've we've heard it before. That sometimes maybe the, the French teams are not always uh, in in the way they prepare and in the way they. They train in the in, in the in the equipment they use as you know as uh, states of the art uh, as as you know other uh, foreign teams. Obviously, going to Jumbo Visma for Christophe Laporte, was, who's from the, the 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 Var region in the south of France, was like moving from uh, Toulon to uh, Real Madrid, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it, well, it shows. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, he won this stage. He won, he won the kind of stages he wouldn't have won in the past. He was he had two second places in the past in, on the Tour de France. Always, you know, he was he was always close calls for Laporte when he was kind of a kind of sprinter. Or, you know, like like when he was a kind of lead out man of Nasabuani. He, he was, you know, he always was so so very close. And since since he joined uh, Euro Visma, not only has he become much more than 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 the lead out man. He's, he, he plays a, a, an important part on the flat to protect his leaders. He's, he, he's, 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 you can tell he's, he's, he's a stronger, more confident uh, rider. And when you know, when the team says, "Okay, today is your day, uh, Christophe," uh, well, he can deliver, and that's that's what he did today. Yeah, when he joined Jumbo Visma at the start of the season, the conventional thinking was that he was joining the team. In order to bolster their classics lineup, which of course he did do because he was uh, second in the uh, E3 Saxobank Classic and second in Gemwevelgem as well this year, um, and uh, it was one of those moves from Kofidis where he was very much a leader in the classics to Jumbo Visma where the thinking was he would play second fiddle to Wout van Aert. Well, he's played a key role in this tour on a number of days and he's got his reward today and Jumbo Visma I mean their team spirit must be phenomenal they do share things around I mean it's not just the the Wout van Aert show is it even though you know he is so visible in that green skin suit and and he's been off the front so often um, that's a real um, victory for you know team spirit as much as anything yeah it, it was not it's not like you know there was an offering uh, for Laporte you know I've I, I, as, as though he was some kind of beggar, you know, begging for a stage victory, and he was uh, giving it because I was next to the Jumbo Visma 
uh, burst when, when that happened. And the team manager, Richard Pluger, who's who, who, who seen many victories in his, in his career, uh, was there by the bus and he jumped in the air, you know, and, so, 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 you know, screaming, yeah, like, you know, you could tell he was very happy uh, for, for Laporte. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, obviously, everything going right for Jumbo. For five stage wins is not extraordinary in this field of, of the tour, but if they get to six, I think only 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 Team Sky or, or did that recently. Uh, the the record being, I mean, and if they if they went to seven, uh, I think it will be the first time since, uh, well, but th- that year, uh, Cyril Guimard team was it Renault Gitan at the time, 1984. They won ten stages, but I mean, the, the, those were other days. But if they do win seven, it will be a, a first for a very long time. Well, impressive for Laporte and. As I say, I keep saying this is a Tour de France that really is marginalising sprinters. I mean, the sprinters, uh, you know, sometimes struggle to get much of a look in at the Giro, and, and we expect that they sometimes get struggle to get much of a look in at the Vuelta. But normally, they could count six, maybe seven stages, but there just hasn't been the opportunities for them in this Tour. And just the Champs Elysees to go, and I know Jakobsen's got a win. Um, Philipson's got a win but there are sprinters that are empty handed and, and the pressure's going to be on on Sunday I've seen you know well I talked to Fabio Jakobsen yesterday and you, you you heard what he had to say and uh, you know the uh, you, you, you can tell you, uh, you know that the, the sprinters also feel that they, they don't have the respect they, they, they deserve in a way and I saw yeah, Fabio Jakobsen you know right past the bus when I was interviewing uh, riders of the bus and Look, looking in a way, how could I say, half. Uh, he had a smile on his face, but you could you could tell frustration was there. And uh, and I heard that 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 message several times from sprinters that they have the impression they don't have the recognition they deserve. That Grand Tours are more and more, you know, making sure that they, they don't have a, uh, their say. Of course, maybe in the old days of uh, Jean-Paul Van Poppel and. Uh, you know all, all these guys, Cipollini, and you know yeah, when, yeah. when you have these, you know eight, you know uh, sprint, Cavendish, of Cavendish, course. yeah. When you have eight opportunities for sprinters to win stages, maybe it was a little bit too much. But maybe we get into a stage where it's a little bit too less. Yeah, because bit. yesterday I said quite confidently that today would would not be a sprint finish, and it wasn't a conventional sprint finish. And in fact, I made a bit of a mess of getting to the finish line uh, from the press room and ended up walking the last two and a half kilometres of the course and just looking at the road and how it twisted and went across the, um, the bridge and then down by the river and then round the corner and then it rose up and then it dropped down again and it went narrow and then it widened out again. Really very, very difficult running for any team uh, to control. And as they came past me, it was splitting up all over the place. It was, you know, a group of four and then six and then another ten. And, and those gaps are very, very difficult to close at high pace, of course. And um, once Laporte got in front, it, it was almost like um, a, a sort of cyclocross finish in, in the sense that once somebody was in the lead, they were going to be very, very hard to get round and, 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 and catch up. Um, well, yeah, cr- credits as well to escapees. I mean... We, we, we mm. know that this Tour de France has been uh, hec- hexic and uh, hyperactive and they're, they're now, you know, riders are less and less reluctant to go for a break or to go for, a, for an attack because they've seen that it sometimes works. And um, among the guys who, who have been trying hard on this Tour de France is Fred Wright. I mean, he's been in breaks uh, in Lausanne, I remember, 
Uh, there was another time when he was in the break. Well, he uh, was second in San Etienne, he wasn't he? He was second in San Etienne. He, he really tries hard. He, he, his timing is pretty good. He's, Very he, good. He, he has the kick. He has the jump. He has a smile on his face. That's what I like about him because I talked to him at the uh, Baron uh, Victorious bus. And, uh, of course, he was frustrated of having tried again. And, and you know, uh, once again close but no cigar. But but still, you know, the, the, the smile was, was there. You can tell he, he's having... Great fun, and, and and it's great that we have runners like Fred Wright on in the peloton. Well, sorry for the sprinters that you know maybe these kind of attempts you know uh, c- kind of curb their, their ambitions. But well, this is what Fred Wright had to say. It's a funny one, really. I just Gujard went big strong attack on that that sort of last slightly longer climb. Yeah, the space opened up, and I and I just you know four guys that attacked, but I was like, now we're going to need to go do more than this. So I just went flat out to the top of the climb. Yeah, it was with Jasper and the three of us, you know, worked really well together. Lucky we had a bit of a descent and, yeah, I kind of knew that if we nearly could, we could do it. It was it was maybe possible, but uh, in the end, you know, you can only only do what you can do. And, you know, there were people were saying, like, oh, you're disappointed, but I'm not going to win the bunch sprint, am I, today? So, <laughs> but I mean, maybe, you know, obviously I had quite good legs, but I think, you know, I gave it a good try and... To be on the front of the Tour de France is pretty special. So you have a small, you have a smile on your face. I mean, it's not the first time you try and you yeah, try and you exactly. try. That that's the thing. What what went wrong in the end? I mean, the the roads were too winding, or no, no, the, the roundabouts really helped. I knew we had those to our advantage in the in the in the end. But yeah, just that uphill drag to the finish. If you got a guy with fresh legs like Laporte in the bunch, he's he's always going. We you know we were riding for 30k, so it's always going to have an advantage to them. So. What can you what can you do if the tour stop stop here i mean what what's what what do you keep from it i mean the fact that you were up front and you tried and you know you can do it yeah i want to get my hands in the air man you know i feel like i i'm due one at some point but yeah keep pushing and no i'm in good hands here with the team and yeah i'm really happy so it's good yeah what i liked about fred wright today was when it looked doomed he didn't give up he had another go didn't he, he tried to just you know hold uh, hold off the inevitable until the very last minute and it's that kind of riding that will eventually net him a big win uh, maybe not in this tour but certainly in uh, future grand tours i mean he's only 23 so uh, plenty of time for him and and a great experience in this year's tour we're looking ahead now to the time trial tomorrow because we were hoping it would all be on the line and that we would have some kind of uh, you know, sensational battle between Vingegaard and Pogacar on uh, the, the climb up to Rocamador tomorrow. I, I've got a feeling, I'll, I'll wait and see tomorrow, but I've got a feeling it's a, it's a climb I've ridden before because there's only really one way into Rocamador and I'm assuming they're going to finish in the, in the famous bit, the the very telegenic bit, beautiful little hillside town, Rocamador, and there's a uh, really only one road up, so I'm, I'm assuming it is, but it's a, it's a nasty little kick at the end, and so that is certainly going to favour the likes of Van Aert, Vingegaard and Pogacar, but at the finish you spoke to Stefan Kung, who ordinarily would be a favourite for a time trial, but maybe the course doesn't fall his way tomorrow, we'll have to see. He said it's a long, you know, it's a long 40k time trial. So m- most of the, 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 the beginning of it uh, suits uh, specialists like, well, you know, himself, uh, Ghana, uh, Bissiger. I mean, that, that, that type of right. But of course, yeah, the, 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 the last little stretch could, could, could make a bit of a difference. 
it, it probably will. Uh, I don't I don't believe a, a second. Maybe I'm right that they're going to change bikes at you know at the bottom of it because it's it's, no. it's a very short climb. Uh, but but. Stefan didn't seem to, to believe it'll be too too hard once you you you're going for it, but but you know well, um, he gave his, uh, his his trio of favorites for the podium tomorrow. Uh, it, it, it won't surprise anybody. Well, let's listen to what Stefan, a better specialist for time trials than I am, has to say about tomorrow's stage. <laughs> Stefan, tomorrow, well, obviously time trial, so you'll be on your terrain. Uh, do, do you know the course, or are you going to? check it tomorrow yeah i think we'll do a recon tomorrow and maybe tonight some uh, see some video footage i had a look at it on the map and uh, on the profile looks like the uh, first part quite uh, fast and rolling and then the second part uh, there's two climbs we're at the end of the tour so a lot of tired legs and so i guess yeah it will be about who has the most energy left in in its legs you, you started the tour fresh from covid and so we're not the best legs for the for the first time travel are you in a way better now yeah i'm slightly better it's it's going better like i was really running on 90 for yeah, the first uh, two weeks for sure now in the third week it's getting uh, slowly it's getting better but it's it's hard to say how i'm gonna feel tomorrow for sure i will go all in and uh, and see where it uh, brings me but it's not that I don't start tomorrow as the big favorite, but nevertheless, I don't uh, set myself any limits tomorrow. Okay, your favorites for tomorrow, apart from you? Yeah, these are the three guys who are a little bit like dominating the tour. Kogacar, Vingegaard and Van Aert. And they're all very good in time traveling. So I, accept, I expect Pogi to go uh, full beans, as we saw today also. like This guy never lets go. It's like a dog with a bone. And then Wart Van Aert... Uh, The other day I kind of jokingly called him cannibal, cannibal because he goes after everything. So <laughs> He won't back down either and uh, Jonas will have wings if he's yellow jersey. So yeah, it'll be hard to beat them. But as I said, I, I'm going to give it a go. Well, Francois, are you ruling yourself out tomorrow? You're not going not gonna to go for the stage win tomorrow in Rocamador? No, I, d I don't think so. You know, you know that on uh, on the time trial day, we are, we, we're often looking for a nice little place for, for lunch. Um, and and then you know that, that, that's a chance for us to see riders uh, getting past one after the other, and, and sometimes you know so, some are doing very so, some are doing this time trial very leisurely, and uh, it's it's a nice moment if we get to the mix zone to to chit chat, discuss of what what the tour was like, what they liked, what they didn't like, and uh, you, you can you can. You can feel already for, for, for the, the guys who are not in top 15 positions, uh, and, f and and if you don't, they're not TT specialists, that it's 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 kind of a pre-holiday uh, ride sometimes. So I mean, yeah, I, I do enjoy. They really it. don't like that. They don't like the suggestion that it's an easy of day because they still have to ride pretty fast no, and no, pretty of hard. They, of, course, yeah. of course they do, but so, some of them, and you, you can tell when when they, yeah. when they reach the it's all relative when they reach the the, the finish, you know. It's it's they they can feel you know they can feel it coming. Paris is 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 nearly is, there. Is nearly, uh, is nearly there. Rocamadour is nice. The area is is, is great for food. Uh, we saw last year in Saint Emilion a few riders you know getting wine you know box <laughs> boxes of, uh, of of fine bottle from bot wine bottles from Saint Emilion. We you know we're getting there. They, we know it as journalists. They know it as well. Uh, and yeah, it, it should be. The kind of 
there, there are two lap of honor, two laps of honor in the Tour de France. Some m might say, unfortunately, of, often the, the time trial is one of them. When the, 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 the race is made, and nothing's going to change. Uh, and of course, uh, Sunday stage to Paris, which is, which only matters for, well, you know, the sprinters teams. And and well, maybe that once again, you know, Sunday's team because the sprinters have been so uh, frustrated with the. I, I could see, you know, the excitement in the uh, around the Lotto Soudal bus. I mean, they're, they're going to play their old Tour de France on a very, very tricky and demanding and challenging uh, last stage uh, uh, on the Champs Elysees, and many others are in the same position. Just on the time trial tomorrow. I mean, while we don't anticipate any movement in the top three, positions four, five, six, and seven, and possibly even eight are up for grabs. I mean, I can't see Roman Bardet taking back two minutes on Alexander Vlasov, but David Godou's fourth place is uh, vulnerable. He's only, uh, well, two minutes 30 ahead of Nairo Quintana should be enough, surely, should even with Godou's uh, not a noted time trialist. Quintana is uh, only eight seconds ahead of Louis Menkes. Um, well, let's hope the Colombian holds on there. Alexander Vlasov is right behind Menkes as well, so perhaps he could nick sixth place. Uh, we'll have to see tomorrow. But there's a little bit to play with in the, the, the bottom half of the top ten, and, and, and uh, yeah, maybe even Adam Yates could swap over with Alexei Lutsenko. We'll, we'll have to see tomorrow. Before we hear our conversation with Seb Piquet, I mean, uh, Seb is a very good friend of the Cycling Podcast, of course, um, but before we hear that conversation, just a few other things to uh, update people on. First of all, our book that Francois translated, Olivier Avalambon's book, The Cyclist and His Shadow, is now on sale. If you go to thecyclingpodcast.com, you can see the link to uh, go through to our partners at Vision Sport Publishing, and uh, you can purchase the book now. If you are a best friend of the podcast this year, please don't buy the book because this year's gift for best friend of the podcast will be a complimentary copy of Olivier Haralambon's excellent book so uh, but anyone else who wants to buy it go to thecyclingpodcast.com keep your nominations coming for the Pedaleur de Charme for the Tour de France um, there, we'll do a poll on Twitter tomorrow nominate at uh, cycling underscore podcast on Twitter or by emailing contact at thecyclingpodcast.com the winner will of course get a Stacey Snyder Cup and talking of Stacey Snyder's brilliant cups and mugs and espresso sets, the Tour de France Fam collection will go on sale on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., 3 p.m. U.K. time and 4 p.m. French time. So once the Tour de France Fam is underway on Monday, Stacey's cups will go on sale from her Etsy page. Again, there's a link for that on our website. And there's still time to vote for your favourite jersey, which of course is Fade. The map jerseys, three jerseys to choose from. Go to map.cc, that's M-A-A-P dot C-C, and vote for Fade, because, I mean, that's the obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded more like a chicken there, yeah, Francois. And and it's the area, you know, it's a lot of poultry. Well, poultry, and duck, and duck and absolutely. Well, <laughs> what a lovely segue to uh, to our next bit, because our... 
episode sponsor is Noom. Uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. But we ought to update on the fabulous meal at Leviscos last night. I mean, two nights ago, the meal was wonderful. We chose from the menu and it was, was lovely. We had uh, a sort of um, a, a delicious trout with, with spirals of cucumber, uh, followed by a very delicate pigeon dish. Last night, the chef, Alexei... He really gave us the greatest hits of Leviscos, didn't he? Two starters, the first of which was a, a, a lightly uh, pan-fried slice of foie gras um, resting on a, 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 a poached egg and, and some sweet bread. Um, delicious, absolutely delicious. And then I thought the piece de resistance was um, a twist on the famous Leviscos baked apple with black pudding and foie gras. There was less foie gras involved, but... The, the, the apple had been hollowed out, so the skin was stuffed with black pudding and then the apple flesh was made into a little puree. Again, the flavours combined perfectly, uh, the, the, the richness and, and the kind of the, the iron flavour of, of the black pudding and the sweet of the apple and the, the texture of the skin. I mean, absolutely faultless dish. And then, the wow, the, the pork was delicious as well. A, 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 a cutlet of the Bigor pork noir wasn't it? And, uh, well, n- not many vegetables with it. The sorbet was the, the, the only fruit. The sorbet the was the only fruit we had. And the wine as well. Of course. <laughs> the wine was... Well, that counts as fruit. Yes, it does. Two and a half weeks into the tour, wine counts as fruit, definitely. Uh, a wonderful meal. And, uh, well, before we hear from Seb Piquet, now this really is the voice of radio tour, Seb Piquet. Seb, just remind everybody whereabouts in the race you are and what your job entails. Uh, for the last 18 years, I've been in the red car number two, race direction car number two, and we are just behind the peloton. Uh, and when uh, we hit the mountains, we overtake the drop groups and we find ourselves behind the yellow jersey group, the favourites. And even yesterday, behind three uh, jerseys, the green jersey of Van Aert, the white jersey of Pogacar and the yellow jersey of Vingegaard. So I was just behind the three of them and that's, uh, that doesn't happen very often on a hors category climb. I mean, that's a front row seat for the Tour de France, but your job is an important one. Uh, lots of listeners will be familiar with the job of race radio, but uh, just for new listeners or people who are not quite aware, what exactly do you do from kilometre zero through to the end of the stage? I eat a sandwich... I stop for a pee eventually, and I talk about the race. The idea is to inform as many people on the race, on the Tour de France, about what's going on. Uh, priority go to goes to um, the DS cars behind our car to uh, call them in case one of the riders has a puncture or is asking for a bottle or has crashed. Uh, uh, then giving information to the same people as well as all the journalists on motorbikes or uh, in cars or at the finish line or in London, Paris, Hong Kong, wherever because uh, race radio is, uh, can be listened to uh, wherever in the world to tell them what goes on in the race. Who are the riders in the breakaway? What are the gaps? And then when we get into the mountains, it's more commentary uh, when Vingegaard attacks and Pogacar responds and Nairo Quintana is dropped, etc., etc. So giving as much information as possible to everyone. And when the race is a little bit boring, uh, add some information, touristic information on villages that we go through, food, wine, uh, castles. And, uh, Where do you get that from? 
<laughs> I have a I I I I have a specialist. I have a specialist who 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 finds the most important uh, uh, bits of news on cuisine on la tête de veau, for example. Uh, and uh, I won't tell. I, I won't re re reveal uh, who he is. Uh, but try also to talk about um, France in general, villages, uh, cities, and history. The history of the Tour de France. Who won uh, in this or that uh, town? When was that? And how he did it? And uh, yeah. So basically, I'm speaking from kilometer zero to the finish line. Although I never see the day's winner. That's because you're sent down the deviation with a couple of hundred metres to go, is that right, or no? No, no, it's because we're behind the peloton if, it, if there's a bunch of prints, uh, or uh, it's behind because we're behind the yellow jersey group and sometimes a breakaway rider will win. Uh, I only saw, and it actually doesn't happen very often, uh, only in Peraguid was I lucky enough to be just behind uh, Pogacar uh, and Vingegaard when uh, the Slovenian won. And that's really, really very rare. How do you get your information on the gaps, for instance? You, you're, not, you're not the one making the calculation. So uh, do you have an old network of guys on motorbikes or other cars giving you stuff? I obviously can't see what goes on at the front. So I have three motorbikes. My eyes on the race, Moto Infos. Jérôme, Jean-Pierre and Bruno. Bruno Thibault, who is a former rider who did the Tour de France several times. And they, of course, are at the front of the race. They are the ones who tell me what I can't see. They will tell me who are the riders in the breakaway group. Uh, sometimes it goes very quickly because when you have 30 names to give out, it's, uh, or 30 numbers to give out, it's, uh, it's pretty hectic. And, they, and they, they are the ones who, uh, who do the gaps between the breakaway group, the counter-attacking group and the peloton. And it's, yeah, something on a day like uh, the one that ended in Otakam, it's sometimes pretty hectic because you have riders everywhere. And, and you get to the top of a climb, you have two riders at the front, then five seconds behind, you have one rider on his own, then 15 seconds behind, you have three, and then four, and then five, and then the yellow jersey. So it's, yeah, it's sometimes complicated to, uh, to understand. So I try to just focus on those who can win the stage and those who are concerned by the GC. So although you're giving information with uh, quite a strict protocol, you're reading out the race numbers, the riders' numbers, so the sports directors in the cars know exactly who's who? What I do is that I give out a number, a name and a team. And then once everyone has the number, the name and the team, I just focus on the name. I think it's better to just talk about a name than a number. So I'd rather talk about Christophe Laporte than uh, rider number 15. I hope that's correct. Uh, I'd rather talk about, uh, yeah, uh, a, a name, yeah. Again, the most important thing is that everyone understands, and I, I, I hope they do. <laughs> What about when you realize you've made a mistake because you're giving so much information, you, you must get the odd thing wrong. Is it just important to correct that as quickly as you can? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, it happens. Uh, I can make a mistake. Or the Moto Info Moto guy can make a mistake. I mean, when, when he's uh, going up uh, Otakam and he has 30 guys to, to check and give the numbers, sometimes he gives the wrong number. He'll see, I don't know, he'll, see, uh, he'll say 121 and it's actually 127, it looks like. So it's all right. I mean, the, just the important thing is, just, is, is, is to correct uh, that false information as quickly as possible, yeah. Do you have a TV in your car or you're just going off this information you get fed? 
I, at the front of the race, do not have a TV, but Thierry Gouvenou, the race di director who's uh, sitting behind me on the left, has a TV, and he's had a TV for the last, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven years, and it is important to double-check an information, uh, and also because, I mean, the, the, the Moto infos at the front of the race, they, they can't be everywhere. Uh, so it's good to have uh, that extra information through the helicopter and through the TV uh, when, for instance, Pogachar attacks uh, and there's no one on him. Yeah, we do have a TV. I don't want to focus on it. I don't want to watch it because if I start watching TV, well, first of all, maybe I'll be sick and I don't want that because I just want to focus on, on the race in front of me and I don't want to be influenced by the TV. What have you made of the tour then? Because you have this amazing front row seat. You must have a sense every day, not just because of what you're seeing, but also the reaction of Thierry Gouverneau, who after all is the man who is in charge of the department that has laid on the kind of the sporting challenge for the riders. So you must have a real keen sense of whether the Tour de France hierarchy are happy with you know, the, the spectacle and the, the sort of sporting drama that the tour is delivering. Oh yeah, and, and they're happy uh, uh, and they're stress you know and when you feel them the stress it means that the race is good and that things are happening and and and, and things are interesting for spectators and and you don't want anything to go wrong so there is a lot of stress in the in in the car and that means that things are going well uh what do i make of this tour uh honestly in the last 18 years i've i think i i don't remember a tour with uh, such intensity, such an amazingly fast pace. Uh, we haven't had one, I'm not going to say boring stage, but you know, a stage where you have seven breakaways and the gap is 12 minutes and it remains 12 minutes for ages and ages and you have time to talk about villages and food and stuff like that. It's been flat out from kilometer zero all the, all the way to the, to the finish and it's been so fast and it's been yeah super intense yeah i think there are quite a few reasons to that i mean because we have you know, two main rivals two main contenders for victory and uh, big teams who are not giving a lot to the other teams so uh, it's a massive battle just to get into the breakaway and 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 that battle sometimes lasts 50k's uh, hence the pace what about the protests we've seen? Because the race has been stopped, I think, the third time today, wasn't it? Uh, a couple of protests earlier in the race and then another one today. Well, there was some, some pretty hands-on intervention from the ASO staff with the, with the bigger of the protests. But did you see anything of any of those protests when the race came to a halt? Well, thankfully, there are only a few people uh, protesting. Uh, I'm not saying it's not important not to protest, uh, but uh, we've been able to cope with those protests pretty easily. It's funny because we are having this conversation in the car with the president of the jury, Francesca and, and Thierry. Uh, today, when there was a protest, we had five riders at the front. The gap was 1 minute 20 over the peloton. Easy. Race stops, stop the protest. We stop the guys at the front, we stop the peloton. And then uh, once everything is under control, we ask the five uh, riders at the front to take off. Then we count one minute 20 and we launch the peloton. Easy. Imagine if we had a protest on the Col de Spandel or the Obisque uh, yesterday when we, you have one rider at the front, then uh, five seconds later you have two riders, then 35 seconds later you have four. How do you do? You have to stop everyone, you have to count everyone. It would have been a nightmare. So not, I shouldn't say that to protesters, but uh, uh, carry on protesting in that way. Uh, it, it's probably important, but uh, it doesn't have too many, thankfully, doesn't have too many consequences on the race. And 
We had yeah three protests so far. Uh, people who uh, glue tried to glue themselves on the on the floor. That must be pretty painful. But it was under control pretty pretty easily. And the other thing is, like in Roland Garros, and Francois knows that very well. The, the cameraman and TV is asked not to film the protesters. So basically, they're protesting, but they're not being seen at all. So maybe that maybe they'll understand that it's. I'm not saying it's not important to protest, but maybe they'll understand it's pointless to protest in that way. This is your 18th tour. You must have seen loads of France. Has there been anything this year that has uh, surprised you or delighted you or somewhere new that you knew nothing about before? It's been hot. It's been hot as hell. That's something that... Uh, well, no, to be honest, it's something that we were used to. I mean, people talking about uh, talking about a heat wave and all that. It's, it's always hot in, in summer. It's always hot in July. It's always hot in the Tour de France. It has been very hot this year. Things that have surprised me, not especially, just a lot of people on the side of the road. That hasn't changed. Uh, a lot of smiles, that hasn't changed, and that's fantastic. There's uh, one thing that I'm delighted, although I know the riders are not delighted about and the fans are not delighted about, is that um, you know the, the, the riders can't throw their bottles to, to spectators or can't throw their bottles in the middle of nowhere. So what they do is they, uh, they bring them back to their cars or to our car. So I end up having like 30 bottles at my feet. And my huge pleasure on this tour is waiting, of course, for the waste zones and throwing the bottles to the kids. And they're, smiling, they're running around, grabbing a bottle, smiling. They're delighted to. And that is my little pleasure or big pleasure of 2022. You're like Santa Claus giving out oh, the yeah. gifts to the children. You're a little bit like the riders. You're following the race. You can't stop for... A, well, you can maybe stop quickly for a pee, but you can't stop for a nice lunch in a fancy restaurant. How, how do you feed yourself? What do you drink? I, I, I heard in the old days you had champagne and bottles of champagne in, the, in your car. Uh, is it still going? It is still going, and there is every day a bottle of champagne in the car in ice and we haven't opened one bottle since the beginning of the Tour de France so I'm pretty optimistic that we'll be able to open a bottle uh, 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 for the stage to, to the Champs-Élysées it's, it's a way to celebrate the end of the Tour de France but we haven't opened one bottle since the beginning of the Tour because it has been so intense uh, that we never had time Um, and also because we have a, the, uh, our, the president of the, the jury, Francesca, doesn't drink, so that's a good reason not to open a bottle. Uh, and in terms of food, don't worry. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't be too concerned. I have loads to eat. Uh, it starts with some saucisson. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of the sponsor, but I have cochonou. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and quite a few. Uh, actually, I know my, my girlfriend keeps on telling me, stop eating, the, stop eating that rubbish. It's disgusting. Stop eating the cochonou. But I'm... I don't know, it's, it's a drug. I'm addicted to, to saucisson. And then uh, we have some pretty decent sandwiches, a nice little dessert, maybe a fruit, just to, just to show that I, I eat fruits uh, every now and again, uh, and, uh, and sweets. So don't worry, Francois, I'm fine. <laughs> Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. If you are riding in the heat at the moment, you probably want to use the hydro range, the tablets that uh, can help you keep hydrated before and during rides, and the beta fuel if you're doing a big ride you want to 
stock up on carbohydrate. Uh, but Science in Sport has everything you need for before, during and after your ride. Go to scienceinsport.com and if you use the discount code SISCP25, you can get 25% off. What do you do on a time trial day? Because that must be a bit different. It's the worst day, to be honest. It's extremely boring. Uh, there's not much action for me. What I do is I uh, go to the start, I follow the first rider in the car, and I give him his time at the, at, at the different time checks. But uh, he's not always the, the best rider. Obviously, he's the first to take off. So, he's, so tomorrow, tomorrow, for instance, he'll be the, the last of the, of the GC. Uh, so I follow him. At least it gives me an opportunity to see the course. Then I head to the finish line uh, where I have a special desk with a computer and I give out times. So it's extremely boring giving out the, a name, a time at kilometer 12, 16 minutes and 53 seconds and another time at kilometer 27 and then the time at the finish line. So it's not very exciting. It gets more exciting at the finish. I mean, in the last part when you have the big guns battling it out. Uh, but it's not the day I prefer. There was a first, I mean, we didn't mention on the podcast, and I wanted to talk to her, but we didn't have time. As you said, a lot of action. But in your car, for, for the first time, there was a woman. So? I'm not saying it changes, any, it changes anything, but it was, it was a first, and it's interesting that for the first time, the uh, president of the jury of commissaires was a woman. It's great. It's fantastic. I mean, and, and, and she's extremely impressive. To be honest, uh, I've had a lot of presidents of the jury in the past. Some were not fantastic, but she knows her job damn well. Uh, I've had the opportunity of working with her several times on other races where she was not the president of the, the, the jury. She was a simple commissaire in a car. I already knew her well, um, but she's, she's the boss. huh? She really is the boss. She, she knows how to uh, place her the car. She, she is in permanent contact with the different commissaires, saying, do this, do that, uh, watch out, there's a, car, a rider coming back. Uh, she can have a good yell at a rider if necessary, and it was the case, especially, well, today, for instance, uh, some of the riders tend to urinate in the middle of villages in front of kids, and, I mean, that's just disgusting. And so she, she will not only find them and give them penalties, she will also tell them. So she discusses a lot with the riders, and that's great to see. And she's super funny, uh, you know. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's not because she's Francesca that she's funny. She's just funny because she's funny. And, uh, and, and we, have a, we have a good laugh in the car, uh, talking about uh, different subjects of life and mainly talking about cycling. And it's just a bike race. The last question, you you are at the forefront of the race, which means you also are at the forefront when our crashes, I suppose. We were lucky not to have too many crashes the, this year as well, which is a bit surprising given the pace. But I, I imagine those moments are the, 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 the worst and the most stressful you can experience in your, in your position. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously never nice to see guys on the ground uh, holding their shoulder or in pain or yelling because it happens sometimes or, or in blood. Uh, thankfully, we didn't have too many this year, but those that we have are never nice to, to witness. I just, in those moments, I just, you know, uh, have to remain as calm as possible uh, and uh, give out as much information as possible that, uh, because it'll be essential for journalists, but also for DSs, who's in the crash. 
what's wrong is he back on his feet is he still on the ground is he holding his shoulder uh, is he you know um, is is he in pain or whatever or is he like back on his bike and, and and trying to get back into the peloton so i tried to to, to stay as calm as possible i was at, we were actually behind um and we could feel it coming we could feel it coming we were behind pogatar and uh, vingegaard yesterday on the descent of spandel that, that's why I have so much admiration for, for, um, for Thierry Gouvenou, who's a former rider, he's the race director, he knows the race by heart, and he, he was the first, when he saw Pogacar pushing hard on the descent, he said, oh, this is not going to finish well, something is going to happen. And literally 10 seconds later, Vingegaard almost crashed, he unclipped his, his foot. A minute later, Pogacar was on the ground. We could see them, they were like basically 10 meters in front of us. It's, but, but what's actually pretty stressful is not the crash in itself, it's the movements of the cars when they overtake the peloton or the motorbikes when they, uh, when they overtake a, a group of, uh, of, of, of escapees. And that's super stressful because you, you can actually see it coming. Uh, and yesterday, oh my God, I mean, I, I don't know if it was on TV, but, but a motorbike overtook Pogachar exactly at the moment he decides to attack. And it was a question of centimeters, honestly. Yeah. What about your driver? I mean, the skill, ri- driving that close to the to the riders, having to be on the accelerator and on the brake and get around the corners and know what's coming. I mean, who is your driver, and 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 just how, just how good, is the driving? He's amazing. I've been with him for the last 18 years. It'd be interesting to to count the number of hours I've spent with him, or days, or years, or months. He's his name is Pascal Lance. He was a former uh, rider. Uh, very good rider, very, and I, I know to, uh, um, Francois can talk about that, a very, very promising rider. Uh, some people were saying that he was to be the future star of French cycling, but he decided to go his own way, mm. probably the good way. Yeah. Anyway, the, the good way. It was back in the 90s, so you can imagine what I'm talking about. And as a driver, he's just amazing because he's extremely calm. He's, his nickname is Papi. Papi in French is... Uh, granddad grandfather that was the name that uh, Jean-François Bernard gave him when he was a rider because he was always you know a bit of a grandfather at the age of 23 he was already uh, he was already old before being old uh, he uh, he never went out he never had a drink he was always you know focused on his work and 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 I love him very much and I, and, and I mean I, I really mean it I mean it's it's been amazing being with him uh, next year is actually his last Tour de France so that's going to be pretty tough uh, and he uh, he's amazing as a driver because he's a former rider, so he knows exactly what the riders uh, do. He helps me fall asleep uh, on descents. Like you know, he has a way of driving left and right, and I tend to well to fall asleep on a, on the descents of the Pyrenees and the Alps. And he's always safe. I mean, I'm never worried with him. And you know, uh, on the Tour de France, it's a three-week uh, race, and in France, there's a law that doesn't allow you to work more than seven days. So every seven days. We have another driver in the car, just for one day. Oh my God, what a nightmare it is. It's, no, it's terrible, because when you're used to a driver and, and suddenly you have someone else taking over, he can be the nicest man in the world. He doesn't just, he's not used to driving in, behind a peloton. He doesn't drive the same way as, as, as Pascal. And, and where we don't feel safe. Uh, and I know I can talk for, for Thierry Gouvenou. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that you know you mentioned Pascal Lentz and his past, and uh, I can be a little bit more outspoken, uh, you know, than you are. And I've always found it very strange, very odd, you know, that uh, probably one of the cleanest French writers of that era is called Lance. Uh, Seb, you mentioned Pascal Lance's final tour next year. How, how long will you carry on doing this job? I mean, you're still a young man, so presumably plenty more tours left in you. I have no idea. I just um, When I started back in 2005, I thought, oh, this is great, but maybe I'm going to do this five years or ten years and go to do something else, but... I'm so happy. I'm in the best seat, and I'm, I'm sitting uh, in the best seat in the world uh, to watch the event that I love more than anything. I certainly don't want to think about when I'll stop. I think I have a few more years in front of me. <laughs> and how can people listen to race radio uh, or radio tour? Sorry, um, because it is available online, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You can uh, either come on Tour de France and be lucky enough to be in a car uh, and, and to listen to it. Uh, and then I know it's on the website, the letour.fr, and then you go into club, you have to subscribe, it's extremely complicated. Uh, you have to have a master's degree in science to understand, well, anyway, uh, too complicated for me. But anyway, go to the club and then subscribe, and then I think there's a link that sends you to Radio Tour and you can listen to uh, extremely boring stuff all day. Too modest, Seb, too modest. Um, you're, you're the voice of the Tour de France. And, uh, well, during all of our coverage of the Tour this year, we've been playing our little clips of our dear friend Richard Moore, the Tour de Buffalo. And, well, this was stage 19, not as dramatic as stage 19 three years ago. But uh, before we get to that, Seb... Yeah, no, and to be honest, uh, I had a thought for Richard today uh, because we went through uh, a village called Moncou, which actually means my ass, and he would have loved it. Oh, very good. Well, this was stage 19 of the 2019 Tour de France, one of the, the dramatic days when uh, the weather was freakish. There were um, tennis ball-sized hailstones. There was a landslide. The race was stopped. Um, Seb, you contributed to our Friends of the Podcast episode telling the story of that day, and we played some of the audio from Radio Tour where you were explaining that, don't worry, everyone, the time gaps have been taken and we, we have a solution um, to, to prevent some kind of mutiny amongst the sports directors. Um, but that episode of our Tour de France coverage that day was one of those days where we were just scrambling for information. And, of course, Richard had maybe not a front row seat but certainly uh, a second row because he was in one of the VIP cars and so he saw the hailstone stopping the race firsthand and uh, well this is a little clip from that day a day that uh, I just remember for the argument we had over dinner that evening because Richard was in possession of more information about what had happened up front whereas I'd been at the at the top of the climb talking to the sports directors and, and wondering why everyone was so um, so happy to, to kind of agree that the the result that was given was uh, I was looking for a bit of conflict you know amongst uh, the the teams but there wasn't any and well when Richard gave his eyewitness account of what had happened uh, further down the course it was apparent why so uh, this is Richard Moore three years ago the Tour du Buffalo remembering Richard Moore all the teams, a very important message. Due to very bad weather conditions, I've come to 112. 
a heavy uh, hail. We are forced to stop the stage. We are forced to stop the stage. The times will be taken at the top of the Col de Liseron. All times have been taken at the top the, of the Col de Liseron. We are going to stop the stage. Please let your riders know. Merci de prévenir vos coureurs. Prévenir vos coureurs. Hi, it's um, Simon, the photographer here. Well, that is uh, one of the strangest days I've ever um, had at the tour. I've, I've plonked myself on the Col de Lizeran for the for the second from last climb of the day, just hoping to see a bit of uh, interesting action. But um, got more interesting than I could ever have imagined. Really, we've got. I'm, I'm stood here now, and there's um, there's Matt White trying to sell uh, other teams' bikes. Um, there's Dylan Grunewigen. Just eating a chocolate bar. There's um, a couple of other riders. I'm not sure who they are, but they're they're just at the kiosk now, a small little kiosk on the top here, um, buying a chocolate bars. Um, spirits are high, but um, everyone looks rather confused by what's going on. Well, we were played in there, weren't we, with uh, a excerpt of the instructions given over radio tour by Seb PK, uh, and then we heard a dispatch from our friend Simon, the photographer. Uh, I mean, what a strange day, the strangest day, hasn't it been? It's been the strangest day since we saw Chris Froome running up Mont Ventoux a couple of years ago. I mean, these things do seem to happen in the Tour de France. It's, but today was, was quite remarkable, just how quickly um, the race organisers reacted to avert what could have been a pretty nasty situation with the riders descending towards a landslide <coughs> and a, a, a hailstorm which had uh, deposited well basically ice on the road well it was strange because I was not with you guys today I was in a, a Skoda car ahead of the race and we were not far ahead of the, the peloton we just stopped for a lovely picnic lunch by the side <laughs> of the road um, and it was the weather was was fine. There, and, there, and you'd been there, over the place where the the, lens, the mudslide took place, or no, no, no. So this was this was on the descent of the Israel. Oh yeah, yeah. And and it was fine. The weather was was nice. Uh, no hint of what was to come at all. We got back in the car. We were watching the race on uh, on our phones, and we were about 15, 20 minutes ahead of the race only, and suddenly this these hailstones began falling on the car and. The noise, well, let's hear what it sounded like now. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burney.